Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History, Abigail Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, and today we're talking about the Jardin de Plantes. I don't know if you've ever visited this giant park. It's wonderful, and Claudine's going to tell us all about it. It really is fantastic, and as we just said before we hit go, it is it it seems far. It's kind of on the edge of what you would call central Paris, but it's definitely worth a visit, especially in the springtime, or which is when all the trees are in bloom and it's amazing. But also the summer, um, it's just a beautiful area, and they also have a huge garden that's just peonies. Oh, that's cool. I never know. And don't they have like a zoo in there? They and do. And I'll get those... to that too. Yeah. They got it's of... not just any old zoo. Except for it does have a morbid turn to it. But of course, it seems like every week we've ventured on from the first hundred or so episodes where we work a courtesan into it. Now it just is something morbid every time. Exactly. We've gone <laughs> in a dark path here. We've gone through, we've gone through all the courtesans. Now we're just going down to dark alleys, but this, the Jardin de Plans is definitely worth the visit. And it has a really cool history in 1626. Louis the 13th ordered a Royal garden of medicinal plants to be created. He heard those guys down in Italy were doing this. And so of course they wanted to have something like this here in France. Um, um, a botanist and a doctor named Guy de la Brosse um, was asked to lead the project for the king. And the, But the idea originally started under Henry IV because he loved the Italian Renaissance and saw all these medicinal gardens in Italy, um, you know, because all of these plants, so many plants have, you know, echinacea and all these things that we really know today. But think about this being, you know, 400 years ago. Yeah, I wouldn't even imagine yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, well, Eastern medicine is even older, but so the land was chosen. Um, this small, small portion of the land was chosen uh, because it was cut in half by a river. And this river is still there, which I think we actually just mentioned recently, the Bière River, which is flows through the left bank. This river is still there. It's covered up. And there's talk every once in a while about uncovering it and letting it roam the streets again. Huh. So, but you know, at, it, that would cost a fortune. So I'm sure that's something they probably aren't going to do, but you know, or you see all the building stuff going on in Paris you could. Um, but seeing the benefit of the garden, um, the faculty of medicine created a garden there as well. That was led by Jean Robin, who is the father of the oldest living thing still standing in Paris today. The tree that is in the little park, um, on the left bank that overlooks, um, looks over towards Notre Dame. If you go look at that tree, that is the oldest thing in Paris. It says Jean Robin is what the tree was named after. I never noticed all ties together. So the all-powerful Colonel Richelieu, as well as the doctor of the king, uh, Jean Heviard, looked for the perfect location. And this area that we see um, was chosen, again, because of the river, because they'd have ample use of water. Um, Guy de, de Labrosse um, compiled thousands of plants for the garden from around the world, um, like Napoleon would later do for Josephine's Malmaison. Uh, Louis Thirteenth had his officers gather specimens anywhere they went in the world, anywhere he sent them. And of course, you have to think of the world wasn't as big as it, as we know it to be now. Um, so that everywhere they would go, they bring back these different plants, which is funny because God forbid, God forbid you bring a sprig of a tree into the United <laughs> States. They're going to like arrest you and throw you in jail. Yeah, but big back then, it was fine. <laughs> 
this is how plants and stuff moved around the world and why we have things like why we have cherry blossom trees cherry blossom trees are japanese <laughs> you have them in all these places is because these came from japan but after the death of Louis the 13th, the garden started to, to just completely fall into disrepair. Louis the 14th didn't really pay any attention to it because he left Paris to go to Versailles. But then Jean-Baptiste Colbert added the garden under the umbrella of the royal buildings. And so it got a little bit of extra love in there, but not a whole lot. Um, the nephew of Brose was sent to the south of France and the Alps to retrieve new samples to replace um, all the ones that basically most of the garden just died off because they didn't take care of it. So they had to repopulate everything. Um, Georges-Louis uh, Leclerc was the Count of Couffon, and he was placed in charge in, to enlarge the garden um, to see basically the size that we see it today it's it is a pretty good size garden um there is a statue of him that was created by jean uh, carfu in 1909 that can be seen can be seen close to the museum um as you walk in it used to be right on the edge of the um of the street looking towards the Seine. And uh, we did a live walk there about a year ago or so. And, um, and then it ended up being that where it's like, wait a minute, where, where did he go? And they moved him. So he he's in a different place now, but just head to the left of the main entrance. And it is, there is a monument to Emmanuel Fremier who that is done by Henry Leon Gerber. Fremier was a lover of animals and a master of many of the fantastic statues you see um, in Paris, including the gorgeous golden Jean d'Arc that's in um, right there looking over at uh, the um, Louvre. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, and that sister one is, um, is in Paris, in Portland, Oregon. That's so funny. Yeah, I know when I when years ago, like I mean, we're talking like 15 years ago when I was doing some research about this, I was reading it and I was like, wait a minute, what? It's in Portland? Really? <laughs> and I got in the car and I was like, I gotta go find this. Um, and there's a couple other ones. There's copies of it, I think, in St. Louis, um, and a couple of other places around the world, um, and maybe even Washington, DC. But he loved animals. He did amazing um animal sculptures, um, uh, like some other people are gonna mention here in a bit. Um, but there is another one of him in the garden as well that he did um and it is basically the a bear hunter and it is a bear hunter with a um a the bear itself and it looks like the hunter is definitely losing that fight the bear is like on his like hind legs um and that 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 hunter is definitely going to be eaten <laughs> he's not going to survive this uh but when you see the statue it is him um the in bronze working on a on like a tall little um plateau and has a small version um of that statue of the bear hunter but on the base of the statue there's a bas relief in bronze of the uh of the jean d'arc the joan of arc statue She's all over Paris. I, I know. I love, I'm obsessed with her. She's another one I've had on the list since the beginning um, to do. So I, that and Josephine, we, I've really got to get those together because both, but mo both of those will probably be multi-parts. <laughs> yeah. Very long stories. Very long stories. Well, just, well, John Dark only lived to be, you know, she was only a teenager. So it might be a short story, but <laughs> Just behind Fremier is a, so on the garden itself, the Jardin de Plants, it's a garden, um, but it's also a zoo and it's also has museums. So there's multiple museums on here. This is a great place to take kids uh, when I'm doing planning um, for family visits to Paris and they have, they're taking young kids. I definitely tell them they have to go check this out because this is a great place. It has all sorts of stuff. So the 
first one you walk in and see to the left is the paleontology and anatomy museum. And so in there you see gigantic, you know, um, dinosaur bones, all of this stuff. It's really, really cool. Um, the buildings themselves each are absolutely fantastic. This gorgeous building at the end, um, in the very middle of it that you see that basically towers over everything is the grand gallery of evolution. It was designed in 1877 by Jules Andre and was completed in 1889 on the facade looking down into the garden is the medallions of the former directors that helped create the gardens and the museum um yeah as i said it's a great place to take kids but it's really fun even if you don't have kids you could still go it is all filled with um taxidermied animals and you walk at the bottom level of it and it's like walking through a safari so they have you know real giraffes and real elephants and tigers and they have all the sounds so you could walk through and you hear like you know the the elephant sound and the you know i won't do them for you now but <laughs> you could hear all of the sounds it, it's it's so so cool um it the lighting in it is great but the building itself is amazing because you look up um the whole center of it where all of these animals are below is open so you can look all the way up to the ceiling and it just has all of these layers um different floors and it's all this beautiful carved wood and um, sculpted iron. It's absolutely fantastic. So if you aren't into the animals and you just are an architectural buff, go and see this because it's really great. There's even a hidden staircase there. It's not really hidden. You go walk right into it, but it's they don't really put signs on it and it's in a corner where not a lot of people go. Uh, but I love to take people in here and shake them to show this. So if you go in there and you see all the animals, um, where the side you come in is on the eastern side, head towards the west side, you'll see a huge, um, big, huge, I think it's a blue whale hanging from the ceiling. Go to where the end of it near the tail and there's going to be a door. Um, it doesn't even say exit or stairs or anything. Just push through these double doors and go up there. And then it's almost like something out of Harry Potter. And you go around the, st the staircase and there's, there's busts and there's sculptures on it and go all the way up to the very top. When you get to the very top, you could kind of walk up to this little platform. Um, you could even open the window and look down into the garden. Uh, but go after you do that, come back down like a half, a, it's just basically like four steps and you walk through this other little area and there's this double, like uh, double um, uh, wishbone shaped uh, staircase and go up to the very top and look down and you're looking down into the queen, the king's cabinet. And this is where you can't go in there. Um, and it's just this room. And this is where the king himself would keep all of his, you know, examples of butterflies and gems and all of this stuff. And it literally is like, it feels like you're in a Harry Potter movie. Yeah, that's wild. I never did that part. It's really cool. And it's very hidden. Nobody ever knows to go in there. Um, and so I always... I, you know, sometimes send clients that if I, even if I'm not there to take them and I always get messages now, where am I going? <laughs> it's hard to find this. Nothing, it, nothing has, a, it does, it's not assigned, uh, you know, you could even go up there and even take, you know, maybe even have like a little picnic sitting up there overlooking the garden. That sounds so nice. They might not want you to eat up there, but you know, bring a sandwich and eat it quick. <laughs> yeah. 
But out back outside the uh, garden, you have also the oldest iron structure in the world. Um, this is long before uh, Gustave Eiffel did anything. It is called the Buffon Gloriette. It sits on the peak of a labyrinth that was kind of just basically just west of the Grand Gallery. It sits above a little tiny hill. Um, it was once a medieval dump um, that covered and had a windmill there in the 16th century. It's named after the father of the garden that had it built. Um, so that's Gloriette. It was designed by a locksmith named Edme uh, Varenque in 1763. It was made of iron, gold, lead, bronze, and copper. Um, which is really cool because it's basically also here you are in the garden. It's a basically the museums are dedicated to all natural things. So here you're going through all the history of metal, um, which is really neat. It's 103 years younger than the most famous iron structure, the Eiffel Tower. 103 years younger. Uh, older, I should say. Older. Oh, older. <laughs> what? It was created 103 years before the Eiffel Tower. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And it originally had a sphere on the top um, and it actually moved with the sun and it had a meridian marker um, that would mark noon each day. And inside of it, it had a small magnifying glass with a horsehair. And each day at noon, if the sun hit it, it would light the, the hair on fire, which would then trigger a little drum to strike. And everybody would know that that was noon what this sounds like a lot like hair it lighting. sounds like a lot and then i'm like well does somebody have to go up there every day and replace the horse hair yeah how does that work exactly and I then mean, what happens if you run out of horse hairs i feel like they never <laughs> ran out of horse hair yeah you know Susie in the office has really long hair so we just take some of hers yeah light that on fire imagine the smells coming out of that room yeah but it's teeny tiny but um it still has on the top of it on the cornice it's it is inscribed and in english it means i only count the happy hours that's sweet but in the 18th century it drew all sorts of people to come and see it and so from lovers sneaking away to um kids that would just like to come up there and just to hear it but you know here it's like you have to think nobody had ever seen this iron structure before um and it was you know it was quite the thing to see here in uh paris that sounds fascinating i really want yeah. to see that whole process work <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that part of it's gone. It doesn't do that. The same thing, you know, there's that teeny tiny cannon that's in the Palais Royale. And now they light it once a year during Patrimon weekend. But that's it. Um, but it used to be every day at noon. It was the same kind of a thing. The little cannon would fire. And it's tiny. I mean, it's like six inches. iPhones have ruined our lives. We always I know what it's, time it is. I know. Now there's, you know, we don't get to see, uh, you know, we don't get to see uh what time it is by reading a sundial anymore. Yeah, cannon fire. <laughs> <laughs> but also in there, besides having gardens filled with roses, there's over a thousand orchids. There's a peony garden that I mentioned. There's an alpine garden. There's a botanical garden, an ecological garden. But there's also the oldest zoo in the world. In the world. In the world. It dates back to 1793 and was created as a, from the Royal Menagerie of uh, Versailles. Um, my One of my favorite things about this uh, zoo is it is where uh, Eugène Delacroix um, and then also Barry and Fermier used to spend endless hours sketching animals um, that they would use, you know, Delacroix for his painting and Barry and Fermier 
for um, their sculptures. And that is why those three are such amazing um, animal artists because they would sit there in the, in the zoo, in the menagerie and just sketch them and watch the way they move and everything about them. And when they could finally see them for real and not just try to guess what these animals yes. look like. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really cool, have you been to it before? Yeah, but when I went, it was kind of sad. I was like, where are the animals? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely very different from the zoos that you think of in the States where it's, you know, everything's concrete and, you know, here comes the lions coming out of yeah. this pretend concrete jungle. Um, it's very, it, it's a lot more natural looking, but it is like there's, I went in there one day and I was like, so where are the animals? Like the whole yeah. first part of it, you can't see any animals until you get to you know like the the big cats or their cages um are very lush and lots of um you know greenery and trees and shrubs and stuff it was you know i thought it, i mean i thought it was really neat it was a lot more natural looking than what we're used to um and then when i went around the corner and saw what was like i don't know there must have been 40 pink flamingos which i'd never seen a pink flamingo in life in real life yeah i didn't see the flamingos but i went when it was kind of colder out yeah. So they're all inside. I think every time I've ever gone to a zoo, it's always when like the animals are sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Certain times of the day are better than others. That's for sure. Yeah. I know. It's like, um, can you do something? <laughs> yeah. Entertain me. Entertain me. Um, but during, um, and here comes the grim part. So in 1870, when the siege of Paris was going on by the Prussians, these animals didn't do so well. You know, all of food, all of the food was cut off in Paris. At this point, people were eating, you know, the pigeons and they were eating the rats and they were eating, you know, I hate to say animals uh, as far as cats and dogs. Um, but it was actually um, on the 99th day of the siege was Christmas Day, 1870. And there was a restaurant called the uh, Voisin Restaurant. It was a 261 Rue Saint-Honoré, um, which is now a Dior store. So hearkening back to last week's episode, different. This is not where the Dior Museum is. Um, this is over on the right bank. Uh, but here at this uh, thing, and there's no plaque on the building that tells you this rightfully so, but there was a very special dinner. The chef's name was Alexander Etienne Choron. He developed a menu that included, are you ready? ready. <laughs> Donkey, elephant, cats rat everything you would think of um that came basically they were bringing the animals from the zoo because people were starving but it wasn't you know this was for a very elite clientele that could pay for it oh my god gross so gross um the stars that were there at the zoo there was two huge elephants named castor and pollux they survived this uh episode but they didn't survive for very long because shortly afterwards they were um, also killed and fed to starving Parisians. Oh, this is also sad. I know it is really sad. Um, and luckily not long after that, the, the war ended. Uh, but, you know, they, people, they cut off all food to Paris. And so, you know, of course people were starving and, you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it's not the raft of the Medusa when they had to decide which person they were going to eat. Oh my gosh, dark times. <laughs> very dark times, very dark times. Um, but right outside of the right outside of the um, zoo and the and the jardin is a fountain, and this is the fountain of Georges Cuvier. It was created in 1840, and it replaced a fountain that was dedicated to Saint Victor by architect Alphonse Vigerou. Um, this one was dedicated to Cuvier. He was a self-taught expert on animal and 
anatomy and also once worked at the National History Museum that there was there. And he was later a professor at the Ecole Centrale. The allegory of the fountain is holding up a large tablet, which is described inscribed with happy who who has able to penetrate the reasons of things that was written by Virgil. Um, but this is a really, this is a really interesting um, fountain, a sculpture on it because a lion sits next to the allegory and an eagle's behind it. Um, and she's surrounded by animals below. And also below is a crocodile and the crocodile has his head turned all the way around looking up at her, but it's actually impossible for a crocodile to um, bend his head that way. What? I didn't know that. We're learning yeah, about so it. Just in case, dear listeners, if you oh happen to God. be in Florida and you come across a crocodile, just stand behind him. He won't find you. <laughs> yeah, he won't turn. He's not the exorcist. He, he can't turn. He around. can't turn his head around. He might turn his whole body around and come get you, but he can't flip around and look behind him. That's perfect. Yeah. So see, it's just worth saying, you know, it's a grim for the animals of the zoo, but we're going to save your life when you yes. get Yeah. Safety. But also, yeah. Also, just not very far from here. And of course, because I love her so much, we have to bring it into it. Um, there is a street called the Rue de Navarre. It's a very small street. It's one of the oldest streets of Paris. And once was when, where one of the greatest women in French history lived, my favorite, Rose Valland. Wow. This is where she was living um, when she was working at the Jeux de Palme. Um, so this is exact location where she would come home every night. Um, and fill those journals up uh, with all of the information that she had heard and seen about all of the looted, um, mostly art taken from Jewish galleries and owners. Um, and she'd come home into this very location and fill out her journals that were used then later by the allies and later to return uh, more than 45,000 pieces of art um, to Jewish families. Wow. We love Rose. We love her so much. There's really, I really do think I need to figure out how we could do it. So, you know, start to petition to put her in the Pantheon. I think we need to get it going. I know I'm going to work on that one, uh, but also right here. Um, and this actually took me quite a few visits a pair to Paris before I found this place and, and uh, visited, but I was really excited. I think it was like three or four visits. There is the Arenda Lutis. Um, have you been there before? No, I haven't. So this is the oldest thing you will find in Paris. It's not, you know, the tree. Um, but the Arenda Lutis was a for, former stage amphitheater that held over 17,000 people and was built in the first century. What? So this was, it dates, it used for 200 years until it was destroyed in the third century. In the sixth century, uh, Shipperic I, the was grandson of Clovis and the king of Paris, um, had it restored before centuries later, again, it was covered and basically covered over and lost. But in 1860, while opening up the Rue Mange, um, the former arena was discovered on the northern edge as they started digging through um, to create the metro as well. But then another gentleman that also saved our beloved Notre Dame, Victor oh. Hugo, sprang into action, sending a letter and that wrote to the papers saying, 
you cannot just, you know, we can't destroy this. You can't get it. He said, in quotes, give up living proof. The past brings the future. So because of Victor Hugo, he saved this. And so it is, you know, the, the city of Paris was founded on um, the Isle, uh, uh, Island of Ile de la Cité that we see today, but it was much smaller. Um, And so this, and after that, it then came over to the left bank. So this Roman arena was created. And so they would have, you know, lion fights and all that kind of stuff that you did in, you know, in Rome. But it is really cool when you go in there. I mean, of course, a lot of those stones aren't going to be from the first century anymore. And of course it's been redone, but, and it's not like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not as grand and as fancy as it was back then, Um, but it is still there and it's opened up and it's pretty cool that you could see something that's that old in the city of Paris. Um, But in the 1920s, they used it for the French national basketball championship. (laughs) What? And so I cannot even imagine there's no way that that would fly today. There's no way that they'd be like, all right, let's get to bring in these parquet floors and have a <laughs> basketball tournament in there. But it is really cool. Um, I've gone through there now many times. If I'm in that area, I walk through there. If it's a sunny day, you go in there, you could just kind of sit there. There's always kids playing soccer down in the arena. A lot of times there's school groups up there doing, you know, the showing them and giving them the history of it. So there's a lot, especially on a nice day, there's a lot going on there, but it's, it's pretty cool to go in there and see something that's literally from the first century. I did go there one time. I remember now I had a family photo shoot there. And oh, it was, wow. It was pretty special to do a photo shoot there considering the yeah. history and everything. It was, I mean, all the, like, you know, the levels, of it are pretty cool for photography so definitely worth a visit it's definitely worth a visit and it's you don't really know it's there because if you're going off of the Rue Manche um, there's basically just you know here's just a very long block of buildings and there's just kind of a doorway and if you notice the green sign on it that looks like they have at all the park entrances that kind of give you a little info you walk through that door and then all of a sudden when you're walking through the door you're like holy cow what is this you know on the other sides you know there's lots and lots of foliage so it's also it's kind of just hidden there um and that's why it kind of took me a long time just to find it without knowing where i was going because you don't it doesn't really just stand out and there's not really signs saying this way to no. you know, just see it's, this it's super ruin. hidden and you have to like kind of go through like a patch of like forestry kind of weird garden area yeah it's yeah. easy to find it's not easy to find but it's so cool when you do um, and it's just there, you know, it's not that far off of the Boulevard Saint-Germain, probably just a couple minute walk just to the Boulevard Saint-Germain. Um, and so it's just, it's right there in the Latin corner, you know, so go there and go check out the, the Jardin de Ponce. And, you know, especially um, in the spring, um, I'll do some live videos this spring from there because they have this one tree that's just massive that is covered, I think, with white blossoms. Mm-hmm. And this tree is so big that people walk in underneath it. And, you know, on a day that it has like a, you know, a little breeze, it's like it's snowing. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really, it's really gorgeous. So it's definitely worth um, a little stop to go through and check it out, especially if you're staying in the Latin corner, but also if you're staying on Il San Louis, um, I have a lot of clients that stay in Il San Louis and then I'm like, just pop over there. You know, it's not a far walk from the Il San Louis, just pop over the bridge and walk on down there. Um, It's a really you know, you could actually sit on the grass in places there, which is not something you could do on many of the parks of Paris. Um, But definitely venture over there and check it out. Worth a visit. 
And I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. You should tune in next week for our next fabulous episode with Claudine and definitely reach out to her if you're planning a trip to Paris. She can help you plan everything. You can book her as a private guide and follow her on ClaudineHemingway.com. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.